Why, hello there. You're listening to Go Chuck Yourself, specifically Season 2, Episode 13 of Go Chuck Yourself, which equates to, yep, you got it, Season 2, Episode 13 of Chuck, and that is Chuck versus the Suburbs. Whether you live in the suburbs or you live in a big city or you live in the middle of nowhere, doesn't matter. We're happy that you're listening. Feel free to send us an email at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any uh, you know questions for us or if you want to have something that could potentially get read on the air, happy to read that for you. Also, follow us on Twitter at gochuckpodcast for all the latest updates from Go Chuck Yourself. And make sure to like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you get a chance, we'd love if you could write a review. It could even be a quick one. Maybe it's a long one. Doesn't matter. We'd love to hear from you. And now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. ask yourself how do i work this and you may ask yourself where is that large automobile and you may tell yourself this is not my beautiful house and you may tell yourself this is not my beautiful wife those are some lyrics that are sung in this episode of chuck hello my name is chris gillespie hello my name is your beautiful wife oh that would be really that would be really like uh if we were married that would be really good um but no that's (laughs) okay (laughs) Um, hi, I'm Aaron Arada. <laughs> I think Aaron just proposed to me. Not really sure what's going on. I'm going to uh, gently put that down. I'm going to say no. Wait, please do. I meant like it would be a really good bit if I was your beautiful wife. I'm saying no to my dress. I'm saying no to the dress. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This is go chuck yourself. Uh, we're two, uh, <laughs> two, two people who are not married together. Talk about Chuck. Welcome. Welcome. I did uh, do a couple of things in, pre- in preparation for this episode. We're talking about Chuck versus the suburbs today. Uh, one of those things was uh, it was not getting married to Aaron. Did not do that. Uh, I have no. I mean, I guess if it was like a green card situation, maybe I would. That's, we would do that probably. You. But you That's don't. Really nice. I, I know yeah. you're. A, you were born in the United States, and you don't need I a was. green card. So yeah. Um. Um. If you were, like, if it was like, uh, I haven't seen a watcher member, but like. I, I don't I don't think there's any legal reason they get married. I think she's just dying and they're in love. Or he's dying. Somebody's dying in that movie. Well, someone dying in this podcast? I guess we'll find out. Oh. Stay tuned. <laughs> Listeners. No, I was just going to say that I uh, prior to watching this episode, I baked a dozen muffins to get in, to get in the mindset. Can I, I see did. them? Uh, yeah, hold on one second. Here they are. Wow, they're beautiful. Yeah, they're blueberries. They're, they're, they're wild, wild uh, main blueberry. I used to, um, well, not that I used to, but there was one, uh, in high school, there was one Valentine's Day where I made pig cupcakes. I don't really know why I made pig cupcakes. I think maybe because there were, like, pink marshmallows available. Mm -hmm. So you, like, cut the marshmallows in half, and then you make little noses. I brought them into my creative writing class, and everyone was, like, pretty happy. Baking and creative writing were, like, my two things in high school. uh, This is disturbing to me because I've been in, I would say, several creative writing classes (laughs) with you, and at no point have you ever brought in baked goods to any of those classes. um, All of the ones that we were in in college were, like, large creative writing classes of, like, like 20 people. In my high school, there was a creative writing class of four, so my my pig cupcakes, I I was able to make them for that number of people, 
I will challenge that as well. Our classes were not that large, especially as we moved further up the chain. The classes got smaller more than anything. I'm I calling mean, out true. a BS. I want a divorce <laughs> is what I want. Okay. Oh, right. oh sorry. I didn't well, mean to hurt your I'm feelings. not your beautiful wife. That's, you may ask, I don't know. You may ask yourself, how did I get here? And the days go by and the water, do, do, do. Um, great song. I think this, this episode, it's, yeah, it is. the first time I watched it was the first time that I heard this song. And yeah, it stuck that's, with me. that's nice. It's like uh, me with Frightened Rabbit. Yeah, exactly. I um, Also, I'm just going to put it out there now. I recall this episode as being one of my favorites for my first watch through. That's really nice. I uh, I didn't write that down, but I wrote that I remember this one. Mm-hmm. And I would agree that this, like, I remember this being one that I really liked. Yeah. I, it stood out in my mind. I think maybe just because maybe it helps when the titles are like on the nose because sometimes the titles are yeah. a little cryptic and you don't remember things. You remember. But, um, I also over the weekend I was in the suburbs of if you will. Ah. So I was getting into that headspace. I, I always do all this research prior to any episode that we, <laughs> we record, but I don't always talk about it on air. But in this case, I yeah. thought it would be appropriate. We're in the suburbs. That's nice. I uh, I don't think either of the places we grow up would constitute as the suburbs. No, would you? What would you? What would they constitute then as? I don't know, like rural, rural area. Well, definitely where I grew up, I would not say like it wasn't even anywhere near a city. Are there still but, like, only maybe... three? Is that it? Is it just rural, what? suburban, and urban? Because that's what I learned in grade school, and I feel like like all of my education has proven to me that everything is more nuanced and complex than you think it is. But I feel like <laughs> no one has come out and be like, "Well, there's actually six kinds of six kinds of living." neighborhood situations i don't i don't know what you would even call it settings i didn't learn that no? i guess both of us grew up in housing developments which kind of has like a suburb thing but i feel like just our areas were more rural like yours at least had like i mean you had a karate studio in your your town so maybe you were more <laughs> i don't even think that was technically in my town i think that was in a neighboring <laughs> town i don't well i think any kind of I, you would be a suburb of worcester and i would just be a suburb of manchester I mean, I guess. I don't know. But like, what would you call rural then? Rural, just like straight up, just like uh, agrarian culture, agrarian economy, like nothing nearby, just like really more remote than we are. I think. I don't okay. know. I don't I don't know. Uh, we need we need to talk to like the urban, the, the experts of like uh, city planning, city. Uh, I don't Someone. know. That would be is. that would be a good yeah. episode. Go check yourself as we sit down for yeah. a round table with people who work in urban planning. What I was going to say about being in the suburbs, and this was, I felt this was where I was, was a suburb of New York City, mm-hmm. was that, and when I watched this episode, I thought it was funny, was because wherever we went in this town, we were only there for a weekend, but within like 30 seconds of talking to anyone, they'd be like, oh, so do you live here? And it'd be <laughs> like, you go to the bar and they'd be like, oh, so you live here? And I'd be like, no. And then you go to the wine shop and no, I wasn't just buying alcohol. I was there. You go to like the cafe or a bakery and everyone. Do you feel um, when people when you're on like vacation somewhere and people think you live there, are you proud of yourself or does it depend where you are? I guess I would. No, I just am more confused more than anything. I just I'm not a friendly person by nature. So when like I people even in the neighborhood that I live in currently, no one's ever come up to me like, oh, you live here and be like, yeah, I do actually. And you like. I just think it's strange that everyone was inquiring, like, hey, do you live here? I'm like, why does it matter? Who cares? Well, no, I don't live want, here. They want a wife swap with you and your beautiful wife. I guess so. I think it was just more of like, because it's such a small town that they probably recognize yeah. everyone. And if they didn't see you, they'd be like, oh, I haven't seen you before. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, but I don't know. It was strange. Where where were you? It was on Croton on Hudson. Hello, Croton. Thanks for choo- tuning in tonight, folks. 
Hi, Croton. All of our listeners are from Croton. Maybe that's why they wanted to know if you lived there. They were like, that's Chris Gillespie from Go Chuck Yourself. If I just, uh, does he live here? If I just unknowingly hung out in a haven of Go Chuck Yourself fans and I didn't know about it, I would be devastated. Yeah, I was um, I was thinking this is where we have a new roommate moving in. Mm. And I was thinking that it would be pretty exciting if she heard me recording from the next room. And she was like, oh, my God, I love Go Check Yourself. That would be exciting. It would be exciting. We, I think she probably would have recognized my voice by now. We but, don't know uh, that that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out over the course of this episode. If she pops in, we'll know. Great. Well, why don't we start the discussion of Chuck versus the suburbs now as well? Uh, I guess referring to a holiday that you have already alluded to, and it escaped me that it's connected to this episode, but it is connected. It is. You're just so wise and thinking on a, another level. I mean, I I just watched the episode. I'm You're playing three D chess out. over here. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here like, huh? Well, uh, in the in the vein of, I believe you're referring to Valentine's Day. That is and the holiday, love yes. and whatnot. Um, my first note begins: Sarah is so beautiful. She's beautiful. I'm sure that's something we can all relate to. Yeah, absolutely. So the episode starts with this guy in sort of like a clockwork orange contraption mm-hmm. where his eyes are being like held open. And I, I make a ton of references in my notes um, to different things. So the first reference is a clockwork orange. The second reference is I refer to the uh, voice that the man hears as kind of like a saw, like a jigsaw. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? I think kind so. of voice. It's like distorted and like uh, put through like a filter, whatever. There's like a man's voice and it's pretty creepy. And they say that they're going to detect a test on this man. Mm-hmm. He asked what they're testing for, and then a video starts. We don't see it, but the flashing and the man's reaction kind of makes it... Uh, it's reminiscent of the intersect videos that we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. So, might be intersect-related. Could be intersecting. Ah, yeah, okay. So, we cut to Chuck watching Must Love Dogs on the Buy More TVs. In true television spirit, we have jumped from Christmas right to Valentine's Day with nary a President's Day or Martin Luther King Jr. Day in between. No, but we did have 3D Day in between. And That's true. Everyone's one of these days, holiday. 3D Day will get recognized as a national holiday between yep. Christmas and Valentine's Day. We're working on it. We're starting a petition. Was this actually Must Love Dogs or was just this like stock footage of dogs running around? Yeah, um, I've seen Must Love Dogs like a lot, like more than most people I think would say they've seen it but also i don't really know it's i i took it at face value i mean there are dogs so uh it's probably must love dogs another example of aaron's airtight logic when approaching a airtight situation logic yeah. aaron tight logic so, aaron tight logic okay. that's nice i like that already, i use that I used two of my three puns for this episode uh sarah arrives she's looking absolutely gorgeous my my exact note says, Sarah arrives looking absolutely gorgeous. My God, what skincare regimen does she use? She asks Chuck if they have any plans for Valentine's Day. There's an absolutely delightful exchange where they're both kind of awkwardly trying to suss out if the other one wants to have plans. Mm-hmm. They ultimately decide that they're going to take the night off from cover dating. Then Morgan arrives to ask what their plans are, and Chuck caves immediately and says they have something awesome planned. Apparently in the last two months, Morgan's distrust of Anna has dissolved because he's excited to be with a sexually adventuresome girl on Valentine's Day. He expresses his gratitude for his and Chuck's luck, which is actually kind of nice. I mean, it's nice to see, I don't know, that he uh, is not like... I don't know, like, he's not just objectifying their girlfriends. He's saying, like, I'm really happy that I'm in a relationship right now. And that was nice to see, Uh, especially since the last time we saw him, he was uh, presumably still upset about Anna kissing Lester. So I'm really glad they dropped that plot line. They dropped that hard. That did not go anywhere, apparently. Although, 
I don't. I don't it know. might come up in the next episode. Um, I'll talk about this later. But this episode and the next episode were actually swapped, and when they aired, okay. so maybe it comes up. Maybe we can look <laughs> forward to that next week. Great, looking forward to it. But it's been two months since that happened because that happened on Christmas Eve. So it's true. Um, maybe it's maybe they've dropped it for real. Anyway, uh, Big Mike comes in to ruin the moment by calling Anna and Blondie hot pieces. <laughs> Not good. Uh, he also reminds Jeff and Lester that there are more inexplicable repairs locked in the storage cage that they have to finish by the evening. I don't know why this keeps happening, but uh, they're there. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, you have worked in retail, so you understand this, but when you're in retail, everything is falling apart constantly and you're never caught up with anything. I mean, that's true, but I think I remember when the first time this came up, we were very confused about what, like, why there were repairs in the storage cage and what they were for and why, mm. like, why they were locked in there. I don't know. Why all these but computers still there, from 1995 were locked in a yes. cage and yeah. why they were fixing them? Yep. So the question still remains. Emmett comes in with cupcakes, much like we referenced before. Mm -hmm. um, he's also wearing a toupee. I couldn't figure out. I don't know. I don't know if this is just me. Um, I just saw him and I was like, something's different about him. But it took me like a really long time, like until they said what it was to figure out what was wrong. I thought it looked nice. It, it was a good wig. It was yeah, a wig, really, which like, I acknowledged immediately was, as I said, that was a wig, but yeah. it was a nice wig. Yeah, I mean, like, if he had just started the show like that, like, I don't think I'm familiar enough with him as an actor that I wouldn't, like... I probably would have been like, oh, he doesn't usually look like that. But I probably would have thought it was like his real hair. Mm -hmm. So it looked nice. Um, and like everybody makes fun of it. But I think like it could have been much worse. Yeah. And maybe it should have been for comedic, comedic effect. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was nice. Yeah. He says his girlfriend, Henrietta, is coming to visit for Valentine's Day. I really wish we got to meet her, but we don't at this point. Mm -hmm. Big Mike, who we come to realize is a bit grumpy, yells at Emmett that he should bake on his own time. This led me to wonder, is the implication that he was late because he was baking during store hours, or is it that he was, like, somehow baking in the break room or in one of the ovens in the Buy More? I guess the, I don't know, my initial reaction was that he was late because he was baking, but maybe that he was makes, baking in the store. That makes a lot more sense, but also, like, everything always happens in the Buy More in this show, so I was just, I thought, uh, either way, it was fine. Yeah. Morgan, Lester, and Jeff are alarmed to see Big Mike doing actual work. This is pretty rare. This doesn't usually happen. Mm -hmm. They assume their first assumption is that he must be a robot. Mm. Chuck goes to talk to Big Mike and learns that his wife has delivered divorce papers on Valentine's Day, no less. Big Mike is keeping busy to avoid his regrets, probably including the fact that he's going around diddling everybody. I don't know. I don't really have that much sympathy for him. But Mark Christopher Lawrence plays this pretty well, and, like, his eyes are actually, like, red, like he's been crying, so I thought that was really good. Yeah, he found the emotional truth in this uh, scene. Yeah, so um, I don't pity him that much, but, like, I, you know, he, it's some good acting. Uh, that night, Chuck and Sarah seem to have ordered Chinese food and stayed in for a night of video games. The implication is that this sucks, but it looks pretty sick to me. They have, like, five containers of food. That's all you need. Well, I thought they were watching Muscle of the Dogs again. The well, they watch that. They put it on later or they put on something later. But at first, Chuck is playing video games and Sarah is like scrunched up on the other side of the couch. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't notice that at all. OK, well, I wrote down what game do you think they're playing? So I guess you don't get to answer that. Sarah asks if this is the worst Valentine's Day. And Chuck says someone somewhere has to be having a worse day. 
We cut to Casey pouring himself a drink and watching a nice war documentary. I don't actually think he's having a worse Valentine's Day. No, he's, he seems to be having yeah, a he seems like time. he's having a blast. Yeah. Uh, Beckman appears on his screen and says, I hope I'm not interrupting, which prompts me to say, what the fuck, Beckman? Yeah, I w- I really turned on her. That sucks. She's always so snide. She always pops yeah. up on the screen like it's uh, OK. For one, it's Valentine's Day. It's nighttime after hours. You popped up on his TV in his private like living quarters. Like, Of course you're interrupting. What, yeah. He's supposed to be on duty like all 24 seven Beckman. I guess so. I hope I'm not interrupting. Yeah. yeah. Well, you are. Yeah. Uh, for one of the first times, though, Beckman has a mission that has nothing at all to do with Chuck, Sarah, or Casey's acquaintances. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, uh, you know. She's, it, like, actually using out. her spy intel and not just going yes. with her gut off of different people yep. that they meet on the street. <laughs> yeah. So an agent who was presumed to be missing has returned, unstable and unable to say where he's been. He just keeps repeating salamander. Um, although he was on assignment, the CIA doesn't have records of where he was. I don't really know how the CIA worked or if this is normal, and I'll probably never know that. I hope I never do. <laughs> but the man's last phone call was from a housing development in the Valley. So Beckman bought a house there and wants a normal couple to move in and identify the sleeper cell that the agent was trying to infiltrate. We cut to Sarah getting a call from Casey, who could have just, you know, walked over, um, but he calls them to say they have a mission. Chuck says, thank God. Casey reveals that Chuck and Sarah will be posing as a married couple and going to the suburbs. Good luck pretending to be a normal couple. That was a good, that was a good Casey. Good work. Thanks. Uh, the next day, Ellie is super excited for Chuck and Sarah to be house-sitting, which is what he says mm-hmm. that they're doing, because it's kind of a dry run for what marriage and living together will be like. Chuck is a little alarmed by this presumption. Ellie relents and says it will just be nice for Chuck to be cohabiting somewhere that doesn't have posters that were hung in the eighth grade. I think this is a valid line from Ellie, but this made me wonder, like, does she mean that he just has had the poster since eighth grade or did they grow up in the apartment that they're currently in? Because maybe that would explain, like, why they can afford it. Maybe it's like rent controlled and they've just lived there. They like inherited ownership. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not really sure. No, but see what Chuck is doing and I think is the mature thing is that if you want to have posters, but you also want to be an adult is you put them in frames. Yeah. That's an insider secret. Yeah, um, that's... It I have, frames I have elevate shit. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And he has it under frame. He has the Tron poster under frame. It's like a retro yeah. Tron thing. I think it's cool. Yeah. I don't think it's... I don't think it's lame. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's a... That's a pretty cool poster, like, in the scheme of things. Mm. That's like, Tron is... Uh, I mean, I don't... I assume still at this time. Like, it's a little bit retro. It's kind of, like, depre- appreciated in value. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's pretty cool. So I guess but what we're Ellie trying to say is, Ellie, so. get out of our room! Yeah! Big sisters are the worst. So the next sequence is Chuck arriving in the suburbs, and I actually really like the sequence. We have the uh, the song that Chris referenced, which is The Talking Heads, right? Mm-hmm. It's called... Once in a Lifetime. Yeah. So um, that song is playing as Chuck arrives in the suburb. He sees all his neighbors waving at him, which is like that uh, that trailer for the show Forever that plays whenever you watch anything on Amazon Prime. You won't get that reference, but someone will. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, he arrives at this like uh, like cookie cutter style house, which is completely decorated with really nice pictures of Chuck and Sarah. And they also have a dog. They have a dog that they do not I give a name to at dog. all. I know. Where did the CIA get a dog? Were they Chuck is looking at the pictures that are like appropriately poorly photoshopped. I appreciated that. 
I was just like, oh, these, I don't know if they were supposed to look good, but I'm like, they do not look good. And he's going through all the photos, which I think not even normal people have that many photos of themselves. That's actually a lie. As soon as you open the door to my apartment, there's photos of me and Catherine. <laughs> but aside from that, then he gets to a photo of a dog and he's like, huh? And then he looks down and a golden lab. There's a dog. Retriever lab runs by and he's just like, eh, I'm not going to talk okay, to the dog. What? I'm not going to touch the dog. I'm not going to pet the dog. I'm not going to name the dog. What scenario do you think is funnier? Do you think that it's just like the CIA acquired a dog or do you think it's funnier that this is like a ruthlessly trained like CIA uh, animal, like a police dog that like could like take people down? Um, I, I want to say the second one where it's funny that they have like dog agents on this in the CIA where it's like he's a dog, but he's undercover. Yeah. Um, but I also do like the first idea of like having Casey go to a pet store and buy a dog. <sighs> Yeah, but I'm I. What I like about the second scenario is that the dog is going to get to go on other missions instead of yeah. potentially just being euthanized after this mission, which I we oh, we don't God. know doesn't happen. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, I mean we don't know that that doesn't happen. And it that's, doesn't happen uh, in the episode. I'm sure he yeah. goes on other missions, and I'm sure it's great. I I hope there's like a deleted scene with like some more dog action. Yeah. He just deserved more. He needs more he dog action. It's insane that yeah. they had a dog on the screen and they did not interact with them at all i know it's a dog gone shame must love dogs we love dogs they were watching must love dogs and they didn't touch the dog god damn it oh god so uh chuck enters the kitchen and finds sarah mixing an absolutely massive bowl of potato salad (laughs) which um was absolutely massive but every review i read of this episode mentioned the potato salad because that's how big it was i i didn't pick up on how big it was i guess i'm i'm the odd man it was huge um, yeah, you're not very observant this episode. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to dazzle you with my my observations later. All right, I'm waiting. I just saw too much dairy uh, in the potato salad. I was like, I can't. I can't. Dangerous. Uh, this neighborhood doesn't waste any time at all nope. because Sarah hands Chuck a bunch of meat and points to a barbecue that is already happening in his backyard. <laughs> and now he has to cook for it. <laughs> but not really because he walks like, away from the grill the entire time. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, like, what time of day is this? Presumably he's just gotten off of work at the Bymore, so is it, like... I mean, I don't know how long it takes to get to where this is from Burbank, but, like, did he take off work for this? Why didn't anyone warn him? What is happening? I don't know. I just assumed it was, like, a weekend afternoon. I don't know. I guess that's fair. If it was, like, a Sunday. If I concerned myself with Chuck's schedule, I just would never sleep at all, so I just don't even... That doesn't even register in my mind anymore. (laughs) That's true. That's fair. So in the Bymore, Morgan meets with Lester and Jeff to say that he took the job at the Bymore to do as little work as possible. And now that Big Mike has nothing to live for but work, that's all changed. Mm -hmm. Emmett overhears, and it it seems like maybe he might, like, tell them to get back to work. But actually, Emmett agrees. He says that they all need to find a way to get Big Mike laid. This is not a concept I agree with at all, but I am interested to see what they do with (laughs) Emmett being on the side of the nerd herd. Yes. It's a unholy alliance. Yes, that's pretty interesting. Um, my next note just says Andy Richter is Brad. I guess that's true. There is a character named Brad who lives in the suburbs, played by Andy Richter. That, that's what my next note says, too. And then it is followed by Conan O'Brien. Is that a thing that he does? Yeah, he's the sidekick on Conan O'Brien. So he always, oh God, he always okay. announces Conan O'Brien at the top of the episode. Oh, that's nice. I recognized his face. I, I was just like, that's one of those comedian guys. <laughs> that's one of that's them. That's what I say about you as well. Oh, wow. I'm flattered. Pretty nice. 
Uh, Brad is in the stationery business. Mm. Chuck also meets a bunch of mediocre suburb men. They're all named like Doug or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Brad makes a comment about how beautiful Sarah is, which again is true. Mm. Meanwhile, back at the Bymore, Morgan, Jeff, and Lester are signing Big Mike up for a dating website. It's an unspecified dating website. We have no idea what it is, but it has profiles and pictures of people. Big Mike is against this and feels dishonest about padding up his profile until he sees the beautiful women he's matched with. They explain to Big Mike that's okay to do this because of what is known as the internet hotness conversion factor, which is, I guess, the theory that everyone lies about themselves online and makes them hotter than they actually are in real life. So everyone's lying. So it's it would be weird if you didn't lie on the internet. So uh, let's tell some lies, Chris. Right. So here I go check yourself. Um, obviously, this is an audio program. But if you were to see us with your eyeballs, you would see me as a uh, six and a half foot tall man who is ripped, uh, very large Wait, muscles. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you say six and a half foot, do mm-hmm. you mean six feet and one half inch or do you mean six foot five? Six foot five. Okay, uh, good. Thank you. I, Thank you for clarifying. I do not wear shirts because my muscles are so big. I'm covered in tattoos. Uh, I... Um, you know, just like really cool. I have an iWatch. Yeah, what? A what? Uh, an Apple Watch. iWatch. Oh, what okay, are they okay. called? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, you have a what? You have a a watch for an eye? And uh, that'd be kind of that'd be pretty steampunk. Uh, I'm trying to tell the listeners how hot I am. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and then also I wear capri pants for men with no with shoes with no socks. And they're white. Oh, that's they're white that's pants. a good look. I just kind of like Nate Roos. I just described like everyone on Love Island. What about yourself, Aaron? How? Why don't you tell the listeners? Okay, so um, do you know you know Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Uh, I'm familiar with that franchise. Okay, you know the part when uh, Hermione gets turned into a cat. Um, yes, but that's in the first one, isn't it? No, no, that's the Chamber of Secrets. God damn it, Chris! Why do you keep saying Chamber of Secrets? It's not in the first one. No, that's the Sorcerer's Stone. It's in Moaning Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle doesn't get introduced until the Chamber of Secrets. Are you, are you comparing yourself to Moaning Myrtle? Is that where this is going? No, I look like Hermione when she's a cat. Oh. I'm a cat. Oh, you're you're one of those people. Oh, no, 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 I got it better. You know the cats in the cat trailer? I have not seen that. <laughs> well, you should watch it, okay. because that's what I look like. Except, I have an eye watch, but when I say that, I mean I have a watch for an eye. <laughs> So I'm just a contestant from Love Island and you are some kind of steam steampunk cat mutant woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Back in the party, Chuck is looking over the party from a distance, obviously bored. And who should pounce on him but Jenny McCarthy? She's here. She is. She's playing a character she's, uh, named Sylvia. Yes, I think Sylvia. She's she's the New Year's Eve person, right? Uh, Yes. OK. And she was married to Jim Carrey? Um, Yeah, I think that's true. Okay. She's with, I, uh, I always, the Donnie, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Donnie Wahlberg is her husband now. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I just think that the bathing suit that Jim Carrey wore one time was hers. And uh, oh, okay. That's, I don't know. That was one of the news covers that I asked my mom about, in addition to Michael Jackson hanging a child out of a window and the one about Oprah having aliens. I just like those stick in my memory because I was like, Mommy, what's going on? They're conversation starters. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. She's there. She says uh, that maybe she and Chuck can get together sometime and engage in something a little more stimulating. Chuck panics, but she doesn't back off, even when he points out his wife, Sarah, to be clear. So they're at the cookout, and I think it's important to note that Casey is also here, but Casey's not posing as a suburbanite. He's posing as a cable repair guy. So Mm -hmm. he's doing this to 
uh, have a cover as he sweeps their house for fulcrum bugs. Uh, and he actually finds one and Chuck flashes on it and it turns out that the bug is a uh, something that fulcrum stole from the CIA in 2006. So now it's just a matter of trying to figure out which one of these creepy neighbors is working for fulcrum. So the next morning, Chuck and Sarah have stayed overnight in the suburbs with their dog, uh, who doesn't have a name. Chuck wa- oh, sadly. Chuck wakes up to find Sarah making an omelet in the kitchen, and he's all confused because he thinks that they need to stay undercover in just like, or that they don't need to stay undercover. No, that they do have to stay undercover because there could be more bugs. But Sarah says no. Casey did a total sweep. There's no more fulcrum bugs in the house. Sarah is just making breakfast because she wanted to make Chuck breakfast. And Chuck is surprised that Sarah seems to be non-ironically enjoying their time as a fake suburban couple uh, while they do non-spy things. So Chuck heads out wearing a suit and carrying a travel mug and a briefcase because that's what you do if you live in the suburbs, I guess. Yeah. Um, All of his neighbors from the cookout are in their respective yards doing various things and waving to him. Instead of uh, going to Uh, work. Instead of being asleep or also going to work or getting ready to go to work. They're just like in the middle of their days doing yard work and they're just standing around waving to them. It's fine. It's the suburbs, man. Everyone has different schedules, I guess. Yep. Um, We also didn't talk about Sylvia's dead behind the eyes husband, uh, who's (sighs) also at the party. He just. Yeah. He's just dead behind the eyes. He's very intimidating. He kind of has like a, I think the implication he has kind of like a military look. Like he's, he's pretty like muscular. Yeah. Much like much like you, he's, but he's not wearing capris with uh, no shoes and no socks. Exactly. Uh, I'm just so gosh um, darn cute. This is kind of uh, it's not it's not necessarily a gross question, but like it's something that I was wondering. Um, do you think like it's? I was surprised they didn't address it. Do you think Sarah and Chuck are sharing a bed in this scenario? Oh, I don't know. I, like, maybe I, not. I thought they don't it would be it something. All. Yeah, I thought it would be something that they would talk about, like that there would be a little bit of, like maybe it's a deleted scene or maybe they thought about it where it was like, oh, are we going to sleep in the same room? What, what if anybody like looks in the windows or whatever? And then they like go and sleep in separate rooms. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, no- but, um, number one rule of being a couple in the suburb is that you sleep in different rooms. Oh, that's absolutely true, actually. Um, so, yeah. So Chuck kind of locks eyes with the creepy dead behind the, eye, dead behind the eyes guy uh, who's also going to work. He's going to his car. As Chuck is about to enter the car, Sarah runs out to give Chuck a grocery list and a kiss. And you, you know what? Chuck is just enjoying life. Back at the Buy More, we are treated to a glimpse of the underpants, etc. storefront. Oh, are we? Yeah. That, that one I didn't see. Yeah. Who's unobservant now, Aaron? I know. It's me. In the Buy More, Chuck has changed out of his suit and into his nerd herd uniform. Uh, apparently, no one saw him walk into the store wearing a suit. He admires the grocery list kind of, um, you know, wistfully and Casey rips it from his hands. Turns out there's a (laughs) message from Sarah written in invisible ink on the back, giving Casey an update on the mission. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but invisible ink, I feel like it's underutilized. I feel like I growing up, I thought invisible ink would have a larger role in my adult life. Did you ever get from the Scholastic book thing? Did you ever get the spy kit? I don't know. I just remember having invisible ink and other weird little kids pads or books or what have you i don't know if i ever had invisible ink but i got this spy kit and there was like there were sunglasses with like mirrors on the side so you could like look behind you you've there definitely was... talked about those before yeah um <laughs> there i there was probably invisible ink too i think we should but bring yeah, invisible I, ink back i think we should i think we should Let's start like a it. new like adults using invisible ink to communicate things <sighs> i think it's i think it's a good idea all right we'll work on it <laughs> 
Casey explains to Chuck while he's skating the message that uh, while Chuck and Sarah were playing a house, he was doing some real investigative work. He ran the fingerprint on the bug that he found and found a match on Jenny McCartney's dead behind the eyes husband. Once again, sorry, Sylvia's dead behind the eyes husband. Her husband was marked as fulcrum and he was actually a former CIA agent, specifically a member of the CIA's psyops team. Which I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming it's yeah, psychology. You know, psyops, yeah, uh, Casey is not, it's pretty disdainful of this. Casey also checked out his credit card, I guess, and found that this man recently purchased a large amount of fiber optic telecommunication cables. Casey asked Chuck what he thinks the fulcrum agent could be doing with all that cable, and Chuck suggests a couple of things. He suggests online gaming. He suggests porn. Uh, and Casey corrects him and says that, no, he's attempting to ha- hack into government servers. And Casey says that he needs Chuck to sneak into Sylvia's house. And Chuck's all like, how am I going to do that? And Casey's like, you're going to do it the old fashioned way. Um, but at this point, they cut from being in the buy more break room to being in Castle halfway through a sentence, like when Casey is saying something. So that implies that they walked in silence from the break room <laughs> across the parking lot into the orange orange and into Castle. Well, they can get from the, the buy more locker room to castle through that like secret door. <sighs> Damn it. So maybe it's not quite as far, but still that they probably have watch it silence. <laughs> makes a lot more sense. So yeah, Casey's saying that he wants Chuck to break into Sylvia's house the old fashioned way by seducing her, pretending to have an affair with her. That way Chuck can scan the house and see if he notices or flashes on anything. Chuck mm-hmm. doesn't want to do that because he thinks Sarah will be upset, but then Sarah, not giving a shit, enters <gasps> and says, This is our best option. And Chuck furrows his brow. Sarah knows that Chuck is upset, but reassures him and tells him that uh, she and Casey will be monitoring him the whole time. Chuck is still upset that he's going to be breaking his fake wedding vows to his fake wife, who has already said that it's totally fine. Uh, But he agrees to do it nonetheless. Casey sprays Chuck's neck and groin with cologne (laughs) and sends him on his way. Yes, he does. Back in the burbs, it's the middle of the day, and Chuck is back in his suit. He knocks on Sylvia's door. Sylvia opens it and says, Mr. Carmichael, I didn't expect you to come so quickly. To which Chuck responds, Mr. Carmichael always comes quickly. I laughed. I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard at that. And then Chuck takes the fourth wall and smashes it by looking directly (laughs) into the camera after that punchline. It was a good one. Sylvia laughs, uh, just like Aaron is, at this reckless destruction of the world's most famous storytelling device, <laughs> and Chuck's innuendo and welcomes him in. Meanwhile, Casey watches all this unfold from a cherry picker across the street, and he informs Chuck uh, via his little watch or earpiece or whatever uh, which room to look in for the mysterious cables. Sylvia leads Chuck into her bedroom and asks him if his wife would be jealous if she knew that they were together. And Chuck says, just like the honeymoon, she is over. And Sylvia rips open his shirt. (gasps) Sylvia asks about Chuck's sex life. And Chuck is, as you can imagine, very uncomfortable. And with his pants down, like he is most of these episodes the past few weeks. Can you, um, I just, she takes off his jacket and he's wearing like a short sleeve button up under it. Do you think she thinks that's weird or do you think she (laughs) thinks it's okay? That he's wearing a a long sleeve jacket with his buy more shirt underneath? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think he could have changed. He has. We see him have a button-up shirt earlier in the episode. <laughs> well, we know that she has some ulterior motives here, so maybe yeah, she's not paying true. attention. Sylvia pushes Chuck onto her bed, and I just have to say, this is yet another show that has been sacrificed to the sex gods. <laughs> and I'm very upset. 
Yeah, we're uh, we're nothing but the, the morality police here on Go Track Yourself. She tells him that she's going to do dirty things to him. Chuck freaks out as Sylvia takes off his socks and handcuffs him to the bed. Sylvia is slightly frustrated that Chuck won't shut up while she's trying to kiss him, but eventually relents when Chuck asks for a drink of alcohol to calm his nerves. She agrees to get Chuck a drink of scotch and exits the room. Once she's out of earshot, Chuck calls Casey via his watch and tells him that he's handcuffed to the bed. Casey reassures him that handcuffs are easy and tells Chuck that all Chuck needs to do is to uh, break a small bone in his thumb. They'll slide right out. Chuck, as you can guess, does not want to break his own thumb, so Casey resigns and tells him that he's stuck. Chuck notices the keys to the handcuffs that are on the nightstand and attempts to reach them with his feet. And by God, reach them, he does. He does! Using his toes, he flicks the keys into his hand and unlocks the cuffs and scurries out of the room. Very impressive. Pretty resourceful. Yeah, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty good. Good job, Chuck. It was just like the, uh, the rope of gummy worms. Yeah. He has some skills. The carpeting in Sylvia's house must be very lush and thick, but it, because apparently she does not hear Chuck run from the bedroom to the home office where the cables are no, located because she does not come to investigate. Uh, or maybe she just doesn't care. Hmm. Ooh. Chuck in his underwear, yet again, thanks sex gods, bursts into the office and see the gigantic cables and sees the gigantic cables running to some kind of large device underneath the computer desk. Now, Chuck, being of the nerd herd IT support professional background, uh, runs to the computer and tries to log on. When asked for a password, he stands there and he notices the toy salamanders on the desk. And he just happens to guess that the password is salamander typed all lowercase. It's because that guy, it's because the guy at the beginning just kept repeating salamander. But Chuck wasn't privy to that, though. Oh, my God, you're right. Well, maybe, well, maybe Casey told him. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, okay. What? Yeah, that's, that's actually, thank you for pointing that out. Because I was just assuming that he knew and that he was like, ah, okay. Because Beckman tells Casey during that, the Valentine's Day surprise. Yeah, because they have like, it's definitely breaking like some kind of like privacy law to show that man like thrashing around in his like, (laughs) his bed, but uh, whatever. So he definitely did not give consent for that. So it's a lucky guess for Chuck, basically, yeah. even though he has a supercomputer in his head, he just guesses yep. that it's Salamander and he actually yep. locks uh, logs in. And upon logging in, Chuck sees what I'm going to be describing as the anti intersect. So, okay. again, it's rapid fire, subliminal messages, uh, hiding coded images, but everything is red and black and even scarier this time and like weirder than the normal intersect, which is already like pretty scary. Did you pick up on any specific images? Because I did not. I did not either. Okay. Um, there was there were no uh, sarcophagi this time. <laughs> no, and no references to uh, Patriot's Place and Foxborough. <laughs> okay. So Chuck watches all of it, and like he has in the past, faints upon completion. Same. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave that there. Consider That's this my moment. I'm gonna drop. Consider this moment me looking into the camera, breaking the fourth wall. Chris Gillespie always faints upon completion. That's the promise. That's the guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not satisfied, we'll give you your money back. (laughs) Scary, dead-behind-the-eyes fulcrum agent comes speeding into the driveway moments after Chuck faints, presumably because he has some kind of sensor that notifies him when somebody touches his toy salamanders. I I think he was just coming home. (laughs) He was speeding. He was not just coming home casually. Okay, you're fine, fine. Sarah and Casey try to warn Chuck to evacuate the house, but Chuck is out like a log. Casey tells Sarah to stay put and runs towards the house. As the fulcrum agent enters, he locks eyes with Sylvia. He's unfazed when he sees her holding two glasses of scotch and asks her if she's tested the subject yet, and she says no, but he's 
handcuffed to the bed. Uh oh. I don't know why, like, we never, um, they never think the wife is in on it. Like, the wife is always in on it. Like, Nicole Richie was in on it. Uh, Jenny McCarthy is in on it. Like, mm-hmm. they should, I mean, I, I guess, like, the, the, based on the information they're given, they think that there's, like, one agent in this community, but I don't know why they didn't think, like, that, like, they just, they just, like, breeze past the possibility that, like, Sylvia is a perfectly capable woman. She could have, like, she could be the spy. They never consider that. Yep, there's like, oh, nope, can't be her. She's a, she's a blonde lady. She must be dumb. She can't do anything. Yep. Uh, so Chuck wakes up and jumps out of the window. Sylvia and her husband freak out when they find that the bedroom is empty. Casey sees Chuck crawl like a spider monkey along the roof of the house in his underwear. All the neighbors are once again outside doing various activities because that's what they do. Uh, and they all see this and are confused. Chuck eventually hops down along the side of a house and uh, falls into someone's backyard. As Chuck runs back to he and Sarah's house past all of his neighbors, Sylvia and her husband enter their home office and see that Chuck ran the anti-intersect test. They're surprised and impressed to find out that Chuck survived it. When Chuck arrives to he and Sarah's doorstep, Sarah opens the door and upon realizing that all their neighbors are watching and that they have the cover to sell, Sarah has to commit to her cover and she slaps Chuck across the face and slams the door right in his face. Right in his face. And now we don't know what happens after that. Maybe Chuck went back to stay with his sister for a while. We don't really know what was going well, on. Well, no, because like he, um, Ellie like seems to think that uh, he's coming home for the first time like later in the episode. So I don't know where he goes. Maybe to Castle. Anyhow. Shortly afterwards, Chuck, Sarah, and Casey are back at Castle, and Beckman is grilling them for botching the mission, exposing Chuck to Fulcrum, as well as to an entire cul-de-sac of civilians. Casey- Which I think, in this case, she has a right to be mad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty, yeah. pretty bad. Like, I don't think she should be mad at Chuck. I don't think any of it is Chuck's fault, but, like, they, like, yeah, they gave him bad advice. He wasn't ready for that, and they should have, like, been able to realize that, like, they were both spies. Mm-hmm. Like they shouldn't have assumed that the, the woman who was trying to like get Chuck alone wasn't a spy. So Casey agrees to this. He apologizes, but Chuck insists that it was not a failure because he encountered the strange anti-intersect. Beckman says that the mission is now more or- urgent than ever, but they can't risk having Chuck in the suburbs again. So she pulls him from the mission, but decides to keep Sarah there. And as Beckman puts it, "quote The Carmichaels are getting a divorce." So at this point, just I, like us at the beginning of this episode, exactly. But I was thinking, can you imagine, assuming if we believe that all of the the neighbors and all the civilians are just actually civilians, they're just yeah. purely neighbors. Can you imagine if you met your new neighbors who just moved in, you went to a barbecue at their house, and then the following day, the man cheats on his wife <laughs> with one of the neighbors, and then they immediately get divorced and move out. I just it thought was, that would be very funny. I was very smitten with that idea. They're like, hey, how's it yeah. going? Welcome to the neighborhood. Oh, great, great, great. And then the next day, the guy's already being unfaithful, and then they divorce. Yep. Yep. Uh, pretty pretty fun. I, I wonder who uh, who got... Well, I guess Sarah gets custody of the dog in this scenario, because the dog is still there later. So uh, that's that's what I was concerned about. Something I'm wondering now is, like, do you think they moved into the guy who, like, the, the CIA agent who was taken? Like, do you think they moved into his house? Or do you think there was just, like, a house for sale in this development? Like, how did the CIA get a house there? I assumed like, it was like, his house. Like, a second house there. Okay. Well, like, no wonder they, like, suspect that these people are CIA. Like, they're just moving into the same house. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Speaking of divorce, hi, mom and dad. No. <laughs> 
Speaking of divorce, Big Mike returns to the Buy More all dressed up for his big date with the woman he matched with online. Big Mike's he's looking good. He's got a double-breasted suit. That's what those are called. He's all nervous, yeah. saying that she's going to immediately realize that he lied on his dating profile. Uh, unlike me, who's never lied on the internet. But Morgan, Emmett, oh. Jeff, and Lester reassure him while also demonstrating that none of them know how to do effective high fives. Did you notice that? No, but they did point it out in the reviews I read. Emmett like tickles Morgan's fingers when he goes oh. in for a high five, and then Jeff goes in for a fist bump as Lester puts up his hand for a high five. Oh no. It's little details. Chuck enters yeah, the I store, clearly rattled by his impending fake divorce. <laughs> Big Mike asks Chuck for advice, since in his mind, Chuck didn't lie about who he was to get Sarah. Chuck says that he's not the best role model, but Big Mike insists that Chuck better uh, Chuck's better than Morgan and Emmett and Jeff and Lester for the obvious reasons. I mean, that's fair. He, Big Mike does also say to Morgan, you and Anna break every other week, which is the first time that we've heard about that. Not surprising, though. No. Chuck asks Big Mike if he really wants to be in a relationship that's founded on lies, and he just walks away, kind of drops the mic on that. All the other guys try to tell Big Mike that he absolutely should want to be in a relationship based on lies because uh, they're all terrible people. Back in, yes. the back, uh, back in the break room, Chuck is putting his bag away and drops a sheet of stationery from the suburbs. And he has an anti-flash on it, which reveals the entire laid out of Fulcrum's operational structure and who all the agents on assignment are. And wouldn't you know, they're literally all the folks living in Chuck and Sarah's cul-de-sac. Oh, my God. All this was actually Fulcrum. a really good twist. I did remember this twist. I don't know if I rem- I'm sure I was surprised the first time, but this time around I was expecting it. I um yeah, but I think it's just good. Like it's um because up to up to this point, like it's usually like one person, one couple, like uh-huh. whatever. Um, and it was it was I don't know. It was like a pretty decent threat that I thought mm-hmm. like that it's this whole neighborhood and that like Sarah and uh, Casey are there like and have no idea. And they're just literally surrounded and they have no idea. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. It definitely it's is. Scary. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. So Chuck agreeing with us is freaked out. And he runs out of the buy more as he tries to call Sarah. Sarah doesn't pick up because she's distracted by something outside the window. So Chuck leaves a voicemail telling her that the company that built the neighborhood that they're living in was a shell company founded by Fulcrum. So then we cut to the suburbs. Casey is sitting in his uh, cable repair truck when Brad approaches him with a question about his cable package. Uh, and then he eventually distracts Casey and hits him in the neck with a taser. <laughs> Sounded like that. That was my impression of a taser. That's good. You're going to have to do yeah. it again in a second, so get ready. Okay. Sarah's doorbell rings and the nameless brunette neighbor from earlier <laughs> shows up holding a plate of brownies and offering sympathy for Sarah's divorce. <laughs> Sarah's caught off guard and welcomes the lady in when Sylvia jumps out from Sarah's living room and points a gun at her. And then <gasps> Chuck speeds into the cul-de-sac and pulls up at his fake house where Brad is waiting for him. Chuck has an anti-flash on Brad, realizing that he's a former Green Beret. Chuck then turns around and flashes on all of his lazy-ass good-for-nothing neighbors who are at home all day. It turns that out was, it turns out they're all former cool. assassins and black ops people. I really liked that. Like some reviews have pointed this out too, but I really liked like it was cool to see them in like their like suburb getups and then also like their mm-hmm. spy getups. The juxtaposition. It was cool. Yeah, I like to see that. So Chuck is speechless, and Brad takes his opportunity to hit him in the neck with a taser, and Chuck passes out. <sighs> There's the taser again. There it is. Chuck wakes up in some kind of lab, which isn't the computer room that we saw before. It's apparently a different one that, like, seems to be, like, in some kind of, like, underground basement type thing. I don't know, whatever. They have, like, another lab room that has computers and anti-intersect mm. stuff. 
Uh, we find out that he's in the same kind of machine as the guy from the beginning, and his Hulkling neighbors are surrounding him. He's kind of groggy, and he asks for Sarah, but they tell him she's not his wife, she's a CIA agent, and so is he. In, like, a weirdly calm and comforting way, like, Sylvia was just kind of, like, very calm about this information. Mm. Chuck asks what they want with him. They say he has a very special brain and explain what the intersect is. Um, it's comforting, sort of, because they don't know he's the intersect, but it's less comforting because they're about to do experiments on him. They ask him if he'd like to be a part of Fulcrum, which is nice to ask his permission. <laughs> and Chuck says he'll do whatever they want if they let Sarah go. Mm. They make fun of him for falling for his partner and tell him any feelings she said she had for him aren't real. Then they put the eye clips in. Ah. I think this I like this because they, um, you know, like you said before, like it's scary when all of them are revealed, but it's also scary, like when they have them and they're trying to yeah. not only like physically um, like barricade Chuck, but they're also trying to like mentally deconstruct him sort of by yeah. saying like, oh, Sarah doesn't care about you and like yeah. really just make him question everything. It's very, yeah. very off putting. It's good. Yeah. Um, there's like kind of like a wipe transition. I don't know. I don't know if you picked up on that, but it was weird. <laughs> like they have like a wipe transition to everyone sitting behind a computer, having left Chuck in the other room. As the Fulcrum agents begin the experiment, Sarah shouts Chuck, which I'm not sure like why she didn't do that before. She's been there the whole time, but I guess she sees the real danger now. Meanwhile, Casey is locked in a different room. I don't know. I don't really know why they didn't put Sarah in there with him. I don't know why they have to like have her in the room with. I don't, I don't really know why they don't, and they don't want to test the thing on Casey, too. I don't know, but he's in a room, and he's handcuffed, so we witness him break his thumb. Um, it, was, it was a nice callback, but very disturbing. We hear the crack <laughs> as the, uh, in the other room, the folk people start putting on sunglasses. It's kind of, it, like, is this kind of like a reference to, like, the, like, nuclear bomb testing kind of things? Like, it was kind of, they were oh, all in yeah. black coats, and they had sunglasses, and they were just kind of, like, looking kind of badass, but kind of scary. I, it was cool. Yeah, I feel like it was definitely, I think that's a good, a good point, because even, um, like, I think Brad says it, or maybe Sylvia says it, but they basically kind of almost outlined Fulcrum's mission statement, and, like, explain yeah. why Fulcrum is, in that they're they don't think that the CIA is doing a good job of like developing military technologies and that they want yeah. to take it in their own hands. And they said, quote, fighting the CIA is quote, fighting the war on terror with cold war tactics while Fulcrum is on the cutting edge of fighting tomorrow's wars. So I thought that was interesting that they kind of flushed Fulcrum out instead of just being yeah, like this guess, evil entity to being like, no, we, this is like our goals. This is what we're trying to do. Yeah, I guess you're right. I didn't really think about that. I did not, as you can see, I didn't include that in my notes because I was like, whatever, it's Fulcrum, they're bad. But uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, it's actually nice to see some motivation from them and like that they're not just like solely like evil bad guys. Yeah. So apparently the room Casey was in either wasn't locked or wasn't locked well. <laughs> so once he has broken his thumb, he strolls out into the hallway and follows the trail of the massive wires to the computer room. <laughs> He's too late to stop the Fulcrum people from running the anti-intersect, so Chuck sees all of those images through this these weird, like, clear screens where you can still see everyone in the background in the other room, mm. whatever. He screams, and then he goes catatonic, which is actually, like, A, good acting, and B, kind of scary, because, like, his eyes are open, so, like, you don't know if he's, like, I mean, presumably there's still more, so he's not dead, but, like, he looks kind of dead. Yeah. Um, the Fulcrum people bring Sarah into the room. I, I don't know why, but they bring her in to look at Chuck. <laughs> She's distraught when they say, oh, he's toast. He certainly looks pretty dead, but then he wakes up suddenly. 
Sylvia asks if he knows where he is. Chuck says he's in a test facility beneath the housing development, testing a new version of the Intersect. Everyone is excited about this. I think, like, the the presumption that I got was, like, that because he has this information, the experiment worked. Mm -hmm. Um, But they told him this information before, so... Well, I think they're, I just, they're just happy that he's not dead or brain Yeah, dead. I mean, that's fair, too. Yeah. Sylvia asks if Chuck minds if they test his wife next, and he starts acting sort of robotic, and he says, I don't have a wife. Neither do I. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think that maybe the implication here is that they expected that the Intersect would turn people into sort of, like, mindless information-having super soldiers, or, like, I don't really know. Like, they're excited about this, and, mm. they're, like, they're not surprised that he's acting kind of, like, robotic now. But, uh, you know, whatever. As the Fulcrum agents are strapping Sarah into the chair to test her, Chuck sees Casey sneaking into the computer room. Chuck winks at Casey, so now we know Chuck isn't really mindless after all. Mm. He tells Sylvia that he'd like to tell Agent Walker something. She's... Uh, impressed that he calls her Agent Walker and she's happy that they have a name. <laughs> Chuck leans in and says, close your eyes, and then shields her with his body, which is a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Casey turns on the intersect, or the anti-intersect, images. Apparently, however they work, once you look, you can't look away, because we get a scene of all the folk from people looking at the images and then screaming in pain and dying. So I don't know why they needed the eye clamps before, but uh, they don't use them now. Uh, with everyone dead around them, Chuck and Sarah have a moment of eternal love and bonding in the face of death until Casey walks in and takes off his sunglasses. In a very cool way, he says, somebody called the cable guy? <laughs> That's not a reference to anything as far as I know, but... Uh, Is it a reference to was- the cable guy? Starring- Larry the cable guy? No, the cable guy, the movie, starring Jenny McCartney's ex-husband, Jim Carrey. Oh my god, okay, well maybe, who knows, maybe it is. Uh, but were they married at this point? I don't know. Let's look it up. We're going to grind this episode to a halt as I look this up. I love when this happens. Uh, he, She's not listed as one of his... Oh, he has a daughter whose middle name is Erin. It's a little thing. Did I just folk. think they were married and... They're, were they just dating? Uh, Let me control F her name. Yeah, okay. They were partners from 2005 to 2010. So they would have been dating at this time. Oh, yeah. That's nice. So maybe it was a reference to that. Mm-hmm. So Brad seems to be dead. Uh, (laughs) His eyes are open and he's being zipped into a body bag. Um, Casey says they're going to take him somewhere for testing. Um, Apparently the other people are actually alive because we see a couple of them, including the nameless brunette that you mentioned before and one of the other guys whose name is like Doug, taken out and brought to some kind of detention facility. Back at Castle, Beckman debriefs Sarah and says that since Fulcrum is so close to completing their own intersect, Chuck's life is in more danger than ever. She says, the honeymoon is over, which fits in with the theme of the episode, but it's a weird thing to say in this context. I don't know what that means. When was there a honeymoon at all? My next note is to say that Chuck's hair looks good. I think this is a discussion I remember having the first time I watched this, that like Chuck's hair improves over the course of the series. Mm-hmm. So I believe that this is one of the first times that I was uh, like, I mean, I liked his hair before, but like it's looking good now. Mm-hmm. It's only going to get better. Chuck asks Sarah if she wants to go back to their house with him and have one last night as Mr. and Mrs. Carmichael. Sarah says they can't go back there because it's a crime scene, which is valid, and she (laughs) has to seal it off with Casey. She also says she needs his wedding ring back. Chuck seems a little hurt and wistful about all this, and he and Sarah share a moment. Also sharing a moment back at the Bymore is Big Mike and his uh, his companions. He reveals that he had a night of intense passion with his online date. Mm. Jeff and Lester are surprised when he then demands they get to work. He explains that he invited his new girlfriend to the store. 
We cut to her arrival, panning slowly up her body and spending a little bit too long on her breasts, which was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, very uncomfortable <laughs> and very gross. In a less gross moment, Big Mac takes the time to tell the woman, who we find out is named Bologna, that he lied to her last night and can't bear to lie to her anymore. He tells her he's the manager of the Buy More. I feel like he could have done that in a way that was less deorienting for her, but all roads lead to the Buy More in this show, so what the hell. Bologna says she does forgive him, because she wasn't honest either. She reveals that she has a 26-year-old son, and that's why she thought Big Mike wanted to meet in the Bymore. She reveals that her son works in the Bymore. Big Mike looks around the store at all the male employees and said, Dear God, let it be Bartowski. Which actually would have been a pretty good reveal if this was Chuck's mom. <laughs> like Chuck but, can't, they can't find their mom at all, but Big Mike just found her easily. Yeah, on she was a, just on online. Yeah. yeah. So Bologna decides now is a good time to make out with Big Mike. Ayo. Right at this moment, who should walk up but Morgan? <gasps> and he says, Mother? <gasps> Everyone freaks out. The next day, Chuck arrives home with his suitcase. He tells Ellie that his time in the suburbs with Sarah was a disaster. She asks if he and Sarah are breaking up. He says no, but he says they're never going to be anything other than they are now, and he's okay with that. This is intercut with scenes of the house in the suburbs being emptied out. A CIA employee puts the dog in a kennel and takes it away, and I screamed. I was so upset. The dog seems okay to go in the kennel. Like, he's not sad, but I was like, no, Ryu, no! I'm sure he'll be fine. He's just going to another mission. One would hope. Casey asks Sarah if she got everything she needed, and she looks at the empty house, then the wedding ring, sadly, and shuts the door. Mm. And thus the episode ends. Twas a downer ending. It was. It was pretty sad. Also Big Mike, in which case, I guess it's a happy ending. Yeah, it was nice. And everyone in the Bymore seems pretty excited that Morgan is getting his just desserts. Yes, finally. Uh, so yes, I mean, I'm. It's it's too bad that it's uh, at the at the expense of his mother, but at least she's getting something out of it. Like she seems pretty happy with. Yeah, Big she's Mike. good. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Season two, episode thirteen, Chuck versus the suburbs. We did it. We conquered the suburbs. We did, and now I uh, briefly would like to do a segment called Aaron and Chris use their college degrees, uh, where we use our our liberal arts degrees to have an academic discussion specifically this week. I was thinking a lot about the, the idea of the American suburb and the role that that plays in modern pop culture and art. Like what I feel like, do you know where I'm going with this kind of, I feel like the, there's just so many references to like the suburbs. I feel like the idea of the suburbs is such like this looming presence in so much pop culture and just like, I guess like our culture in general. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think it's like um, on one hand, it is the uh, like supposed ideal mm-hmm. of what you're like. You want like the picket fence and the children and the dog and everything. But on the other hand, like maybe this is just true of people our age. But I think it's kind of there's also like a lot of disdain for that, like which is probably like subconsciously part of why I was like, well, I didn't grow up in the suburbs, but. Like, it's it's definitely plays an interesting role. Like, you would say, like, this is an American, but you would say, like, Harry Potter's, like, Privet Drive is portrayed as, like, this awful, like, monotonous place mm. that no one would want to be. But also, like, in this, like, in Chuck, it's kind of, like, half that and then half, like, Chuck and Sarah actually really want. Like, it plays the role of, like, domesticity and, like, a loving, caring relationship and, like, this ideal that's kind of, like, unattainable, but you kind of still want it. Mm-hmm capitalism i guess is that what it is capitalism well like is it just like a sense of people being like the suburbs are somewhere where you are allowed to just be 
a capitalist and just enjoy your possessions. And that's like the whole thing is that you're going to have like a, a big house and a big car and it's going to be full with nice stuff and you're going to have clothes. And I feel like that's just kind of what like the, that, not to say that people don't do other things in the suburbs, but I feel like the, the mythos of the suburbs is that it's like that kind of like we were saying, like cookie cutter kind of yeah. like everybody's I doing think the that's same like- thing the pessimistic view of it i think the optimistic view of it which the show seems to be kind of going for is that it's like the compared to like sarah's life and chuck's like life as the intersect Mm -hmm. like they don't have like a quote-unquote normal life and there's not really like a hope for like having a family having a dog having like just like the simplicity of like so i think the suburbs in this episode is portraying a role as like okay it's like like, it's not really a thing that exists. Like, they say that when they're about to um, test Chuck, like, with the anti-intersect, they say, mm-hmm. like, this this neighborhood doesn't exist, which I think is kind of, like, it. that neighborhood actually literally doesn't exist. The possibility of the suburbs doesn't really seem to exist for Chuck and Sarah with the lives that they have chosen or being be, been thrust into. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't know, maybe they're saying, like, the suburbs doesn't actually, like, that kind of simplicity, that kind of, like, nostalgia we have for, like, this, like, simple life Mm -hmm. doesn't really exist either. Yeah, like, the kind of, like, mid-century ideal of being, like, you can, you're going to have a job, and you're going to go, and you're going to have a house, and you're going to buy things, and that's what you're going to do. Like, it seems to be, like you said, like, it's both idealized, but it's almost like people... I feel like they idealize the predictability of it and the stability of it. But when they actually have it, it doesn't actually I feel like most art or most pop culture stuff that deals with the suburbs is the idea that like it. It presents these things, but those things are also bad in kind of a large dosage. And then you want to escape from it, which is I feel like so much of like being an adolescent. Sure. That's an example. Snip, Snip, snip. Yeah. It's always sunny that's, uh, in Philadelphia. That's based on Burbank. Is that is uh is that set in the suburbs? They do an episode about the suburbs, which I oh, that's cool. which is really good because the characters okay. go from living in the city and they're like, man, I just wish we could live in the suburbs, and they go oh. and live in the suburbs, and it literally drives them insane for a lot of reasons, <laughs> and it's just very on the nose. Well, that's actually um that line that you just said is a good transition into Chuck Mary Kill. If you wanna if you wanna pop over to that, sure, I would I would be happy to pop over to that. All right, do you want to explain it as you love to do? I just in case there's any first time listeners, I want everyone to be welcome here. Welcome. Uh, first timers. Chuck Mary Kill, one part of this episode of Chuck that we want to marry because it was our favorite, and one part that we want to kill because we did not like it. So um in order to minimize that transition as much as possible, my Mary for this week was the line that uh Casey says when um he finds out that the agent was stationed in the valley, he says he was in the valley. No wonder he went crazy. It's pretty <laughs> funny. I like. I I always like when they have little LA references meant for me, uh-huh. Aaron Arana. Um, I also want to give an honorable mention to Emmett's toupee, and then just Emmett in general. I like. I wish that there was a little bit more with him um, and being on the side of the nerd herd employees, but I did really like that. For once, we see them all like um, the meeting of the minds, and him like kind of also not wanting to not wanting things to change drastically in the buy more and wanting to like uh things to maintain their status quo i thought that was pretty cool i feel like and i am interested to see uh, where it goes in the future i feel like we're in the same ballpark this week because my mary was also casey 
So ah. maybe we should do some kind of plural marriage and move to the suburbs okay. together. I just I thought he seemed like he was having fun this week. I felt like yeah. he had some good jokes and was playful, but he wasn't necessarily yeah. like a hard ass or a downer yeah. like he is sometimes. I yeah. just feel like he had a good presence and was fun in this episode. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, my kill, I would say, I didn't like the lingering pan on Morgan's mother's breasts. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little bit, um, I was just a little disappointed. I think like I paused it to um, get my dinner right before and then I pressed play right on that scene and I was like, oh God. So that was a little disappointing. I also thought it was unnecessary, like Big Mike's grumpiness, including a little bit of sexism towards uh, Sarah and Anna, especially since Anna wasn't even in this episode at all. Yeah. Um, I just could have done without that. So I would strike those from the record. That's good. Mine's going to look real dumb in comparison to that. But I was just resenting the fact that we never got to meet Henrietta. That's her name. I miss Lover. Yeah. I got so stoked because she's like, he was like, oh, Henrietta's in town. I'm like, oh, this is good. We're going to be able to like finally see who this Henrietta person is. And she didn't stop by at all. So no. Couldn't even I, do that. What gives? I don't know if she shows up in the future. I hope she does. Is she I even think real? That's like, I don't Well, I mean, that's like either way, it would be funny. Yeah. Like, so I have some um, interesting, non-interesting information to toss out here. Um, this is just something that I personally find interesting. The actual address of the house that Chuck and Sarah were living in was walker place in stevenson ranch california and i think it's pretty funny that it's walker place because you know sarah that's good pretty funny um let's see what else there's um there's a lot of references in this episode they call big mike a skinwalker which is a reference to either blade runner or battlestar galactica chuck has a t-shirt that says cowbell hero which Uh, is apparently a reference to the cowbell sketch from saturday night live is that something you know about also guitar hero Yes, yeah. I would buy Guitar um, Hero. I mean, I, I did buy Guitar Hero. I would buy Cowboy, Cowboy Hero. Hero. We yes. already bought DJ Hero. I did. And I, I came across it for a penny at GameStop the other day. Like, the disc, oh, not the, the thing. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Did you get it? No. Oh, I was angry. Bad. I was like, this is more than a cent. Threw it down. Big fan of DJ Hero. Um, the other thing that I wanted to note is the director of this episode is Jay Chandrasekhar. I'm... Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but he um, he has directed some previous and future episodes of Chuck, including Chuck vs. the X and Chuck vs. Sarah, which I believe is one of the later episodes. Um, there's also, there's a couple of them. Um, he's directed five total episodes of Chuck, but he's also, he's also directed a lot of other shows. One of them is Andy Richter Controls the Universe, so maybe that's how Andy mm. Richter got involved in this episode. Okay. There's a couple episodes of Arrested Development. There's a couple episodes of Psych. There's a there's a lot of episodes of Community. Oh, um, and then we have some New Girl, some The Goldberg, some The Grinder, which was a great show that was canceled in its prime. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Fresh Off the Boat, Lethal Weapon, um, Good Trouble, and also uh, he's he's an actor. He's been in a couple been in a couple things. He was in a um, sketch comedy group called Broken Lizard, which I don't know anything about it, but he was in Super Troopers, and I guess the people who do Super Troopers. Oh, okay. Um, and also, he directed the 2005 film version of The Dukes of Hazard. So he's got a lot of comedy chops, but also some yes. some action and some he's dramedy thrown in there. 51 years old. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, man. Oh, and he's been married since 2005, and he has oh, congrats. three children. Three, okay. no way. No, I'm just reading his Wikipedia page. Um, so I just, yeah, I thought that this uh, this episode seemed to have a pretty specific style, so I was interested in who the director was, and I am 
Uh, now that I know the episodes that he's directed, I think I'll keep an eye on in the future to see if they have a similar style. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Uh, moving on to the Scooter scale. It's our official ranking of this episode on a scale of zero to five corn dogs in memory of Scooter, who is uh, lost before his time. Rest in peace. Um, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Oh, I'll go, I'll go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Seems surprised. Uh, this episode was pretty highly regarded um, in the reviews that I read. Mm-hmm. AB Club gave it an A minus and IGN gave it an eight out of ten. I'm going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I thought that um, there, there were a few things that I could have uh, had more information on, such as Henrietta and the dog, the two, two uh, most underwritten characters in this episode. <laughs> um, but I thought that the suburb, uh, see, just seeing Chuck and Sarah in a different environment than they're usually in was really cool. And I thought that they used the idea of the suburb to kind of uh, continue the themes that we've been seeing. Um, I thought that although it definitely ended on a downer, like that was a realistic uh, point for it to get to. And I think it's, valid that um i think it's valid that the will they won't they is gonna like that's something that it would run into and it's about that time that we should get a uh a dip in that a dip towards the won't they Mm -hmm. so that was interesting yeah that's a good way to put that i am also going to give it four out of five corn dogs I, i do enjoy this episode i felt like i was not disappointed in my memory of it being good um Part of me feels like it's tight in ways um, that other episodes aren't, but other mm. parts of me feel like it's kind of light in turn, like because I sometimes feel like we spend a lot of time like talking about the plot and there's a lot of plot turns and yeah, changes. I but I feel like many notes. this is just more streamlined. Um, yes, I kind of wish that they spent more time in that kind of make believe playing house kind of space where they're yes. like in their cover and they're like Chuck's like falling more for the fantasy that he doesn't have. But I, instead, I yeah. feel like it was so sped up or was like just a day and yeah. I really wanted to kind of like see them get lost in that cover a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the third act is really good. I like the idea that mm-hmm. Chuck survives the fake intersect, but Fulcrum yes. decides to expose Sarah into it. Cause that's scary. Um, yeah. But then I also like how Chuck and Sarah survived that by holding each other. I feel like it was really intimate for a climax yeah. that they're holding each other and <sighs> with their eyes closed while all that other stuff's going on. Yep. It, God damn it. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I also like the some somewhat somber note that the episode ends on. Yeah. Um, especially after the upbeat sequence. You know, when they first move in, it's all happy, and then it kind of ends in a sad note. And I feel like that yeah. is a good representation of the suburbs. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, pretty pretty nice. That's what you just said. That's how it goes. I think we really hit the nail on the head with this one. So something else that I wanted to note about this episode here at the end is that apparently the airing order of this episode was swapped. In the United States, I don't know, Wikipedia uh, notes that this was in the United States. I don't know if Chuck aired outside of the United States, but Chuck versus the best friend was supposed to air before this episode, but Obama made a speech. So thanks, Obama. Uh, Chuck versus the best friend instead was swapped to air after this episode. And um, so this episode could air on Valentine's Day. That makes sense. That makes that makes sense. Yes. That, I think I read that um, and I was like. I saw there was like a presidential, it was like preempted. Yes. I was like, oh, screw that. And I was like, oh, wait a second, what year was this? And I was like, oh, I probably yeah. watched that then. I was probably happy. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know the last episode aired, the 3D episode was after the Super Bowl? Because I read that too. And I was pretty like, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. It aired yeah. right after the Super Bowl. Like I it was the lead in so. after the Super Bowl. 
So they're like, the Super Bowl's over. Everybody put on your 3D glasses. I mean, that makes a lot more sense if why yeah. they had such a stupid gimmick. Yeah, so um, we didn't note this in our actual 3D <laughs> episode, but uh, now you know. We're just like, why do they do this? It seems really stupid. Why, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Super Bowl. So it was the Super Bowl. That makes more if sense. If I researched that episode at all, I could have told you, but I did not that week. Well, I'm still editing that episode, so I'll just uh, I'll just splice Pop this in. in there. Yeah. Yes, great. Um, so yeah, another week. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. That's the song? And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. Water dissolving, water removing. There's water at the bottom of the ocean. Under the water, carry the water. Remove the water at the bottom of the ocean. Water dissolving, Under water removing. Oh, boy, that's safe when I fell over. No, it's not that song. <laughs> Go away, Blue October. Uh, Underrated. Just underwater. Just like Blue October, I will be going away. My name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food is sexy. My name is Erin Arana, letting you know that anything is possible. And the days go by, and the water pull me down into the Sometimes blue I again. After the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. This is going to sound great with That's our That's a good mashup. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.